we have a very exciting episode today because we are with a very decorated individual who was recently <laughs> recognised, acknowledged by the Queen. <laughs> Hi, I'm Amanda Chong. I'm a lawyer, a poet, a playwright, and I'm also the co-founder of Readable, which is a literacy non-profit. So we run literacy programs for children and migrant women in the Chinatown neighborhood. We teach kids um, how to read and we teach them all the way through uh, primary school and into their teenage years. So I was uh, recently awarded the Commonwealth Points of Light Award, um, which is to an outstanding volunteer in uh, a Commonwealth territory, so that includes Singapore. I see, very cool! Before we carry on with today's episode, I'd like to thank the National Reading Movement for teaming up with us to encourage all of you to make 2022 the year you start reading more. The National Reading Movement's Read More, Be More is a campaign to inspire people to read more books through the NLB mobile app and to become unexpectedly interesting. In line with that, you can download the books recommended in today's episode on the NLB mobile app. For more information, visit readingnation.nlb.gov.sg. I mean, you're a very decorated individual, right? And I think your work with like Readable is so interesting and cool. And you have done a lot of work in like the space of literature. Mm-hmm. Tell me, I guess, like what motivates you to be so giving to the community? I think it all starts out for like uh, from the significance of books in my life. Uh, so my my father, uh, he grew up in a very um, low-income family in a one-room flat and for him reading was that ticket out of poverty Mm -hmm. and so naturally he encouraged uh, my family and all the kids I have four siblings to read a lot so we would take trips to Queenstown Library and we would combine everyone's library cards so we could cut back bags of books and I really always just enjoyed being around books and I think for my dad you know he always told us stories and for him living in um, circumstances of poverty books provided that way out to explore different worlds because he never got to travel and I think that is what I enjoyed too. I mean, I definitely grew up in, in a greater level of privilege, but you know, one cannot deny the transportive um, power of literature. Mm. And, and I think that's why it's, it's so powerful to me. And because it doesn't just transport you into different places, but also into different lives of other people, especially mm. those that you may not know very much about. And I think that really is um, the start of like building bridges of empathy and compassion. So if you guys haven't guessed by now, this episode... <laughs> <laughs> is on reading and I think um, it's, it's a timely episode because I feel like in this day and age I feel like a lot of us me included I used to read a lot as a child yeah. but with like social media my phone Netflix like movies TikTok I'm like becoming really lazy yeah. you know with yeah. reading but then I think something very interesting and amazing that's been happening recently is people are finding reading like trendy again, right? <laughs> I think I've seen a lot of people talk about uh, Sally Rooney, you know, like yeah, all these yeah. like, really popular authors yeah. and you kind of feel a bit like left out if you don't... I mean, at least for me. I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah, I want to know what's going on. I want to yeah. be part of this hype train. <laughs> so... I mean, we need to have good dinner party conversation. And I feel that reading books gives you the best dinner party conversation. You want to impress, right? You know? It's true. <laughs> it's true. And Amanda will be sharing her tips on how she, how she impresses with like, her knowledge. But yeah, so what we'll be doing is we'll be covering different books chosen by the both of us and then going through the books, which part of the mm. books that we like, how it's relevant to us today, and then hopefully sharing nuggets on how you can yeah, be a more interesting person with like all these 
newfound like wisdom with the books that you've been reading. And I think my question to you is, how did you carry on like your love for reading? How were you not influenced by other people who, you know, like dropped off reading and like started to use like social media and stuff like that, if you know what I mean? I think it really comes down to realizing for yourself the inherent quality of reading and of literature and how that builds up your life, right? And I think one of my favorite quotes um, is from the writer Susan Sontag, who talks about how reading a novel is an education of the heart, and it opens your mind to all the human possibilities of what human nature is. And at the end of the day, it's a creator of inwardness. I think a lot of this hinges a lot on wanting to be like a better person. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> but for a lot of us, like after a long day at work, you're like, I've had a really long day. I'm really tired. I just want to be like a potato and go back <laughs> to my room and watch TikTok. So yeah. I guess the question to you is like, how do you fight against that? You know what I mean? Well, no, I absolutely have to fight against that because I love watching Instagram stories. I'm a millennial, so I'm not really on TikTok, but my thing is Instagram stories. But I think after a while, as you said, right, there's this realization that you are becoming a potato mm. and do we want to be potatoes no we do not <laughs> so i think when you when the horror of that sets in and you're like you know the movie um wally right when humans have turned into these like large like actual potatoes yep. just consuming content all the time and eating so that's what i kind of imagine mm. that uh your we, mind becomes yes like yes like it's just you know, there's no real substantive content. You're, like, you're essentially consuming junk food, right? Mm, mm. So I think for me, like, it makes me feel more alive and it makes my brain feel sharper mm. when I am, like, challenging myself by, like, trying to understand new ideas. And also, you know, there's, it's not like reading is uniformly, like, a very high, lofty intellectual pursuit, right? You can read things for fun also, you know, and they're very entertaining books and humorous books. There's one book that I read that was... Um, super funny by uh, I can't remember the author but it was called How to Date Men When You Hate Men <laughs> so <laughs> it pass it to me <laughs> <laughs> kidding <laughs> yeah and, and it was kind of like it was a feminist book but it was written from the perspective of um, you know like super funny like she's like a late night comedy writer mm. and pointing out all the ironies in dating life so you just need to pick the right book and there's so many books at your fingertips. Mm, mm. No, I really like that and I think that yeah. it's, a, it's a real concern, right? Like yeah. becoming a, a potato and I definitely don't <laughs> want to do that as well. Let's go into the books that we have chosen for this particular sure. episode. And the first is one that was suggested by Amanda. Okay, so this book is The Handmaid's Tale and it's significant to me, right? Because it was actually my lit text. So you can see that it's filled with highlights. So I've studied this book inside out and I do consider it to be a classical feminist text. So The Handmaid's Tale is a dystopian novel which was published in 1985 and it's set in a near future New England, so in the US. Um, and it essentially talks about how uh, this theocratic state has taken over the government. So by like corrupting uh, Christian ideology and taking them to the extreme, um, they have created this new system of governance. And I think what makes it's so interesting is how plausible it is. So we see a world in The Handmaid's Tale where the progress of feminism has been re reversed and women instead go back into their traditional roles as wives and, and yes, and mothers, right? So it's, it's actually a very real situation because it starts out with this idea of like, because climate change is so terrible, you know, 
the land is barren, women also are barren. Mm. So women who can actually produce children, they then become a commodity. Mm. And they are then like enslaved essentially to work for powerful men as handmaids, which means that they produce children. And as the narrator of the book says, uh, she is literally a womb on legs. So all she's there is uh, for is to produce a child for this powerful man um, and she has no other functional identity. I mean, there definitely was a huge resurgence of attention on this book, uh, especially after you know reproductive rights in the US were kind of like cycled back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a surge in religious fundamentalism. Um, and The Handmaid's Tale's vision of dystopia then becomes more relevant. And we had a lot of like women even going to protests dressed up as handmaids because they have a very iconic kind of uh, costumes because they are saying that, look, if we allow, you know, women's rights to be sidelined and we allow this rhetoric of um, fundamentalism to continue playing out, then we might end up in this dystopian universe where women are only valued for their reproductive Mm, mm, uh, mm. worth. Mm. I think what what I found very interesting is that it's dystopian, right? But it just seems like such an extreme idea altogether. Yeah. Like, I think that was the part that was like a bit of a dissociate for me. So I don't know if that was a reality that we could find ourselves in. Well, I think it helps me to think a lot about the idea of power, right? Mm-hmm. Because in every society, there's always a certain power dynamic and there are certain people who dominate an underclass. And there's always a struggle for power against Uh, those who are in power. Um, And I think what's so interesting about The Handmaid's Tale is that it takes this to the extreme, but yet there are very recognisable kinds of patterns. Mm. So for example, the idea of women being complicit in the patriarchy or in dominating and oppressing other women, right? Mm. And I think, you know, this is a dynamic that does kind of take place in the real world, Mm. right? You know, where women do sometimes end up saying things which are very unhelpful to other women or espousing ideology which is actually ends up oppressing other women, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, the thing is that like we need to come alive to it to be able to spot it happening yeah. in our real-life context. Oh my God, I really did not draw those parallels. <laughs> <laughs> She's dumb, but when you put it that way, like, yeah, I, I, I think that that is something that I didn't think about. Are there other examples of the books that you think are relevant to... There are parallels to like what real life is like today. Since you did, you know, study the book for secondary school and A levels. Uh, th- there's this idea of a participation in the book, which is an amalgamation of two words like participate and execution. Yeah, and so when a handmaid uh, commits a crime, all the other handmaids are involved in stoning her essentially, and I think that also brings to mind like a kind of mob ideology, right? Of women attacking other women and women holding other women to ideals, right? Mm. That ultimately, you know, the system enslaves all of us into a certain way of thinking and we participate in it. Mm. So the oppression doesn't always have to come from the men or, you know, from someone in with a lot of power. It could come from ourselves even. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's a, it's a matter of being conscious yeah, that yeah. we might have done something like this. I suppose the way, a way to think about it is, yeah, the kinds of values that we have, um, how much of it is really ours or how much of it has been kind of like imparted to us and we're just taking for granted because they're part of the system that we live in. Mm-hmm. I am a sheep, I just <laughs> want to say. Um, and I was doing a bit of like scrolling through TikTok 
<laughs> the worst. But I think there has been a theme that yeah. people on TikTok have been talking about quite a bit that's related to um, some of the stuff that Margaret Atwood herself has written. And this whole idea of like the male gaze, which I find very interesting, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a feminist movement, I guess. Young girls are encouraging one another to dress with themselves in mind and instead of dressing for who they think might find them attractive this other person on TikTok was saying that like no matter what you do um, you cannot kind of get rid of that if we live in the patriarchy we're still informed by these ideas even if you think that you are dressing for yourself you are not I do think actually the theme does come up in The Handmaid's Tale right because yeah I mean it's the whole idea of us being enslaved to something that we may not be consciously aware of, yep. right? So saying that I reject the male gaze, but at the same time, we've grown up in a culture where we've already internalized male gaze into our own beauty standards, mm-hmm. right? And then that's when, you know, taken to the extreme, the idea of persecution comes in where we are skewering other women based on male standards of beauty, right? And, and how do we like cleanly define what, a woman's standard of beauty is. Yep. I mean, the fact is that it's virtually impossible to do that because we have grown up with all these images that are in the world that are not created by us. Correct. It's a tension that we have to live with and there, there are no clear answers. In fact, the next book, All About Love, New Visions by Bell Hooks, really helps to unpack that. She's also done a lot of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is... I'm quite a mugger. When I read books, I like to highlight and tab... <laughs> I have a confession I didn't finish reading this book I could not get to it I don't know why it's just something that and especially I mean since yeah. she recently just uh, passed on right? yes, I yes think that's right everybody's like yeah you need to read like all about love it's such a such a feminist like iconic book that you have to read so I'm gonna have to leave it to you to bring us through the yeah text. no problem as it is really obvious uh, this book is all about love and explores the question of what love is from a feminist angle um, and she starts out the book by pointing out the perception that women have nothing serious to teach the world about love this is because all the kind of important uh, texts in the canon about love are written by men and somehow you know, the power dynamics and history has not endowed women with this same kind of like gravitas when we speak about love. So, you know, when women speak about love or write about love, very often it's kind of dismissed as like being kind of fluffy. Yeah. Uh, so she tries to reclaim that um, and puts out her definition of what love is. Uh, and she also argues that women have a very different perspective on love, which is very valuable. So she talks about how men usually speak from the perspective where they have received love, but women speak from the position of lack, of not receiving the love that we had longed for. Mm. And I think, in my experience at least, I can see how that is true. And I think that offers a very rich possibilities in defining what love is mm. from a woman's perspective. Mm. Can you tell me a bit about, about how, I guess, like you mentioned that it's relevant to you like yeah how do you see that kind of like play out okay so you know there's this trend on instagram right where like everyone is so interested in unpacking the idea of relationships and psychology and at least my friends are very into you know instagram accounts like gottman institute or enneagram Mm, where mm. they're trying to like mind hack all the people in their lives right and see how you can improve communication and relationships So I think this book is for you if you are super into that. I think we're finally coming to this realisation that a lot of relational problems come from trauma or childhood wounds. Yeah, and and that we need to be more conscious of this and actually do some work in ourselves to grow from 
what our traumas were or even identify what these previous wounds were. Um, and I like also that in this book, she doesn't just focus on romantic love, but she also talks about love in a family setting, in a community setting, and even love as um, shaping the ethics of justice, right? And what is fair in a society. So I think it is actually a very complex portrait of love that she offers to us. And in some ways, it is a self-help book as well as a philosophy book. I personally found it very tricky to read. And I'm not sure if it's because like a lot of her ideas were, for lack of a better way of explaining right, very, quite Western. Yeah. I mean, this is clearly a woman who's much older, right? Yep. So she's writing from that wealth of life experience. Correct. So maybe think of it as like a much older mentor giving you life advice. Mm -hmm. So their experiences are going to be pretty different from yours, but they can bring real value to the table. Mm -hmm. So one of the ideas that I really enjoyed in the book was how she talks about toxic masculinity mm. and she, and you know we all kind of like understand this concept of toxic masculinity it's, it's very in in our generation yeah. and she says that men are unable to connect with their feelings because they're actually using survival strategies from boyhood right mm. because they've had some trauma in the past that has created this disconnect um, and they haven't been able to connect back because for us as women, uh, we are socialized into having like conversations about our feelings all the time, but men don't actually have this opportunity. And uh, an insight that I thought was very interesting was how this inability to connect with others turns into an inability to assume responsibility for causing pain. And then at the extreme, uh, it can result in violence towards women because they see that they are the ones who are victimized by women. And so when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, that explains like the incels on Reddit forums, right? When they cannot stand being rejected by women because right. they think that there's so much violence done to them and they don't see how they are actually in a place of privilege, right? And and they, they take so much offense at being rejected, mm. you know? And, and in some weird way, like it gives you a space of compassion because you're like, yeah, I kind of get it now, you know? Yep. Even yep. though like... Um, sometimes it's really ridiculous when you see all these troll comments on like, I don't know, Hardware Zone on, on like female influencers' Instagram feeds. But I thought this really pointed out to me the psychology behind that. I think the other thing is also, I've never seen like a guy read this book. Ever. Oh, really? Like all the people who recommend like the hooks are like women. You know okay, I mean? well... Let shout out to the men who are listening to this podcast. Pick up bell hooks. You should. You should. You really should. Yeah, because if all the girls are, if only girls are reading this, then yeah, it's problematic, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, absolutely. But then, you, well, shout out to the women listening to this podcast. Buy this for your brothers, your boyfriends, your male friends. I think everyone should read this book. Okay, fine. I shall try again. I think when people see like the title, like all about love, the impression is that like. We're only exclusively talking about like romantic love. Yes, yes. And then I think for a lot of us, especially in like cis heterosexual relationships, yeah. like people are like, I want to get like all my needs and my wants satisfied yeah, by yeah. this one person, which yeah. I think I find very unhealthy. And I think this is a narrative that like people are increasingly like hopping on. Yeah. To, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's why I find her book so powerful because it talks about, as I said, um, love in the context of family, mm. uh, love in the context of friendship, mm. love in the context of divine love, so like a connection with God or spirituality. And I think ultimately, the big picture she presents us with is the idea that love is not about 
domination. So it cannot exist when one party is trying to dominate another, mm-hmm. right? It's a very free and, ex- and equal exchange. And at the same time, it's also a choice and an intention. Mm-hmm. So it's not, some, it's not a feeling. You know, I think she really like skewers that idea, yeah. right? And, and it's about a conscious way of living, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. How is this book different or unexpectedly like similar to The Hemi's Tale if in, in, in any way? I think if everyone internalized all the lessons in All About Love, there will be no dystopia in The Handmaid's Tale. It will be the perfect antidote to that. Because we won't be dominating anyone else, right? <laughs> we can only hope. We can only yeah. hope. This is utopia, not dystopia. <laughs> We're taking a short break. Something Private is a podcast produced on the local media publisher, Our Grandfather Story. This episode was made in collaboration with our friends at the National Reading Movement. Did you know that NLB has a mobile app? Honestly, it's been one of my favourite discoveries of 2022 because of how convenient it is. I've been devouring books on the go and feeling pretty invincible with these big brains. In all seriousness, if you're looking for an accessible, convenient and completely free way to read more books, you can download NLB's mobile app on your phone now. Pro tip from Amanda, put the app beside your social media apps so that you condition yourself to open it instead of Instagram. Check out readingnation.nlb.gov.sg to find out more. Now back to the episode. I want to talk a bit about the resurgence of like reading in the recent few years and especially um, with social media right on the rise. I think uh, I've seen a lot of like book talk, bookstagram, booktube and it's personally really like impacted my life. I think like Obama like does his like summer oh, yeah. reads. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. such a fan. <laughs> Every time he posts on that, I'm going to read it like yay, I want to be as smart as Obama. <laughs> And so I think um, my personal impression of like this whole trend is is good. It's great because it's introduced some of the best books to me. I think I recently read um, this book called Pachinko by... Oh, I love Pachinko. It is so good. Mm, Min Jin Lee. <laughs> yes, and it's because Obama recommended it. Yeah, no, it's a great book. Going on about how, I guess, like social media impacts the way we read today. Has it changed your experiences with like reading or like how you find out like new and interesting titles how you interact with your friends even as a millennial you know i i do remember life without the internet (laughs) and actually i used to have a very long attention span especially for reading hard copy like physical books so i remember that as a kid you know i would really try to finish a book within 24 hours Mm because i thought that it was like watching a movie you know you want to get that saturation of content and finish reading it and so I would even bring books with me into the bathtub and like the bottom of a lot of my books were soggy (laughs) and a little bit curly right the pages because it's like yeah exactly um and with social media I feel my attention span has just shrunk so much right Mm. because we're used to consuming content in very bite-sized pieces and, you know, I, I want to say that there is good writing on Instagram, yep. but it is just a different type of content, right? And we do need our brains to be able to process long-form content. And obviously books, they have much more room to unpack an idea and the degree and the nuance that they expound on ideas is going to be so much richer than an Instagram caption. Mm, yeah, mm. so I think I've had to kind of like train my own mind um, to consume physical content or to consume long-form content. Mm. So one of the, the... I have a couple tricks <laughs> that I have used to train my mind, right? So first trick is that I would put my phone on airplane mode when I want to read. Because mm. it's like, you know, you have this reflex where you're just like reaching for your phone all yes. the time. 
even though like literally nobody has like said anything to you, you have no notifications, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're like, surely someone has. So like when you put your phone on airplane mode, you just stop your instinct for a while. And then after a while, you get into the rhythm of reading something longer. And then I think that's when a book can do its work of like transporting you. So the second tip is to download the NLB mobile app. So let me tell you about this personal experiment that I did last year. So I tried this for a period of one month and I specifically put the NLB mobile app icon next to my Instagram icon so that I will be conditioned to just shift my finger a little bit to the right and tap the NLB mobile app instead every time I'd be urged to check my Instagram, right? So the results were that in one month, I read 10 books, 10 whole ebooks. Uh, and it was just amazing to me, the amount of time that I spend just consuming that junk food, right? Like on Instagram mm -hmm. and versus like how I was actually like enriching my mind by reading ebooks. Mm -hmm. And yeah. <laughs> I have a question. So in that like 10 books that you read, right? Did you feel like you missed out on anybody's lives? Oh, definitely not. Uh, because everyone's life is quite similar one. <laughs> Like, where do you go for to eat dinner? Where do yeah. you go to eat lunch? Yeah. You know, I, I, in the big picture, right? It's not going to, you know, completely destroy your friendship with someone if you don't know where they went the day before, right? Yeah, what they did like, last week. You'll find out eventually. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. You know what? I'm very guilty of this. I think one of the things that I really loved about the NLB mobile app is that every time you read about a book, whether that's on Instagram or whether, you know, sometimes within a book, they mention another book, you can immediately go and search it on NLB to find out whether they have the ebook and then you can immediately borrow it. Mm. And I think that's what creates this momentum, at least for me. Mm. And even after I stopped that one month personal experiment, right, like I still regularly read ebooks mm. on mm. the app. So you condition yourself. To yeah. Move your finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because as I said, like our intention spans are declining, right? And we are victim to the technology that we use yep. every day yep. and we need to kind of like consciously step outside of that uh, and step outside of that culture of just checking our phones yep. checking social media all the time and and i think intention is very important yeah i think this segues like perfectly to our next book which is written uh by an American, Asian-American author who talks about the effect that social media has on our lives. It's a title called Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino and I love it. It says, Reflections on Self-Delusion. I think I chanced upon this book when I was reading um, an article by The Guardian. The essay was on Athalisia Bar and Kill, The Tyranny of the Ideal Woman. And it's one of the short essays taken out of her books. And she talks about how the modern woman is always trying to optimise. And you see that in like how she's trying to keep her body like perfect. She goes to all these classes. She eats like kale salads. You know, she is nice. She's friendly. She's beautiful. She has like this whole skincare routine down. And she basically just highlights how that is not say anti-feminist but like even though we're trying to escape whatever like being a woman was previously right we're still very much like oppressed in a way and I found that so interesting because I think that when that book came out in 2019 I was going through that and I was like oh my god let's go for like spin classes <laughs> like yoga and like do all these like athleisure like walk around and try to be like the best version of myself and it was frankly like quite exhausting so I thought like whatever she wrote about was like super like illuminating yeah Gia Tolentino is a very good essayist. She is. So a good essayist really gives us the language to process and to understand the time that we're living in mm. and how like our identities are constructed 
um, by the culture that we are in. And Chia Tolentino is extremely talented at doing that um, in respect of the internet age. So she just is able to dissect how our identities are so enmeshed with our digital presences, right? So one of the quotes that I like from her is that there is no backstage on the internet. Mm. So I think, you know, growing up on the internet age, we are always very conscious that there's an audience watching us. And that really affects the way that we construct our identities and the way that we live our lives, right? So, you know, there's this like meme on TikTok about being the main character. <laughs> so on the internet, you we know. are like all the main characters, right? It's like, do you have main character syndrome? Yes, we all do because we all have social media accounts yep. where we are the main character, right? Yep, yep. And I think, you know, this sense of exceptionalism about ourselves, it can transition to almost being an unhealthy narcissism mm. if we don't check it, mm. right? If we, we're not like conscious about it and we're like, okay, we need to stop ourselves. This life is not really about us as the main character. You know, there are bigger societal problems. And the way we, we receive information doesn't always have to be um, so self-centered, you know, where we feel attacked by everything that we receive, right? Mm. I think we need to step back from main character syndrome and learn how to process information a little bit more objectively um, so that we are not so reactive to comments that we see on the internet um, and we can process another person's point of view, mm. right? Because when I see like... Um, you know, debates happening on Instagram. And sometimes they are very worthy debates to be having. But I really do think that social media um, doesn't provide the best platform for it because mm. people are all about giving their hot takes and people are taking things very personally. Yeah. But at the same time, that it also allows you to say things without any accountability. Um, and because of the speed at which we post information, you feel that you need to respond. It doesn't invite reflection and it doesn't invite developing insight. I've always thought that this, a sign of intelligence is the willingness to change your mind when you're presented with new information. Mm. So I hope that, you know, as we are aware of how technology has impacted our minds, how the algorithm has impacted our lifestyle, we can walk into all these kinds of debates online with a greater sense of consciousness of how our perspectives are shaped and learn to have real dialogue and mm. not just you know, throw comments at each other and miss the mark. I think the recurrent word that has been, that you've been using across all the books is like this idea of like consciousness. Yeah, yeah. It's calling on us to be more conscious of like our behaviour and our surroundings and like how we live. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I really liked about like uh, Trick Mirror in general is also, I think Jia is, you know, like you mentioned, she wrote, was an editor at Jezebel, right? Which is a feminist news publication. And she talks about how like, I guess there's this new age kind of like idea of feminism, which I found very interesting. It's like, yes, like we should be like supporting women. We should be like not putting women down and stuff like that. And I I always, um, I think with something private also, like we've always been trying to understand like how this idea of feminism plays in like particularly like our part of the world. And it's going back to this whole idea of like consciousness, right? It's like thinking, yeah, how does it apply to like us, um, women in our lives at present? Um, how are we different from like feminists in like the US and stuff like that? So yeah. I think personally there was a lot of like reflection on that. Yeah. And end, like what feminism means. Yeah, no, and I think one point um, in her discussion of, of feminism that I thought was very interesting is that sometimes, you know, when we are so quick to be like, yes, queen and everything, right? And like support women um, because of how unsupported or how demonized women were before, sometimes we swing to the other extreme 
of turning them into like deities instead and mm. putting them out of reach of criticism. And mm. that's also not healthy. Mm. So I think we need to be able to keep that nuance um, in our thinking, right? Like when we are presented with, for example, the example that she talks about is women in politics, right? Mm. That we cannot swing from just being like overtly critical. That used to be the trend, right? When, when a woman politician comes to the fore, everyone, this is her clothes choice, yeah. right? Her body, her looks. So Jia points out that we've swung to the other extreme where we don't allow space for any kind of criticism mm -hmm. of women public figures and we equate any criticism with sexism. And that's mm -hmm. also not a healthy space to be in because mm -hmm. we don't want to be in a space where we can't give constructive criticism to women public figures and leaders. Yep. I think all the stuff that we've kind of talked about so far, the books that we've been recommending are books that are not like local titles. So I think we should take a step back and like talk about some of the local literary works that have been featured. It's called This Is What Inequality Looks Like. It's a bunch of non-fiction essays um, talking about the experiences of being uh, a person from a low-income background in Singapore and talking about like, their experiences and their struggles. And I think it's told in a way where um, the author herself, she has been um, working with these people for an extended period of time and really getting in and out of like their lives and stuff like that. And just, I think, giving us a very fresh perspective um, about people that you don't really see on the day-to-day. -day. Like, why would this be considered like a feminist text? Um, so I think feminism is interested in the wider project of equality, right? Because to me, feminism is simply the desire that there should be equality and justice regardless of gender. And naturally, if we're interested in equality, this will extend to all the other categories. Yep. So, you know, the, the concept of intersectionality and how inequality is caused by multiple reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just gender, but it's also class. Um, it, it could be race, etc., etc., etc. And um, in this book, demonstrates how there's a disconnect between the experiences of families in poverty and the big kind of national narrative that Singapore has of meritocracy, mm. that essentially people feel excluded from this narrative. She helps us to understand how we might actually be perpetuating the st structures that trap the poor. For example, we are stripping the poor of dignity um, by judging them against what we consider to uh, there to be normal ways of living, mm, right? Mm. So she essentially says that we are measuring the poor and we're judging them against a template of what is normal. Yep. But that definition of normal is a privileged definition of what normal is. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and I think that what results is that when someone is poor in society, instead of seeing it as, oh, there could be societal reasons for it or structural reasons for it, we tend to see it as a personal feeling like, wow, lazy. you're just lazy. Correct, yeah. right? No attitude. For yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's not the right way to see it. Yeah. So I think that the way that she tells the stories of the different families um, and her interactions with them, I mean, she's also very self-conscious um, in the way that she describes it, right? Because she's always talking about how she's also an outsider looking in. She comes from a place of privilege. And I think that helps us to have a frame to understand poverty in Singapore. Mm. Because we, I mean, depending on our, our uh, backgrounds, right? I mean, personally, I am fairly privileged. And so I need to be very conscious of my own privilege, even as I'm understanding the lived experience of someone else. Right. So, uh, and, and conscious of my own blind spots. So I, I think she's really good at that, that consciousness of blind spots. Yeah. And 
if we all had that consciousness, I, I think that um, it would enable us to take a pause and, and really reflect on what actually needs to be done to increase social mobility in society. Mm. Realistically, I think the question is like for the rest of us, like what can we then like do, you know what I mean, after reading this book? I, I think that everyone contributes to society in different ways. You know, you, there isn't like a fixed template for mm. any of this. But I think what we should be doing is approaching interactions with other people with a greater sense of compassion mm. and realizing the limits of our own experience. And for example, even when you know we first started Readable, uh, there are certain assumptions that I had that were challenged. Like for example, you know when I text mothers to remind them that there is class for their kids and they don't reply, and I'm like, oh man, isn't that kind of rude? Like mm -hmm. I'm offering you like a free class for your kids, but there is no reply. And then I realized that it's because um, they have run out of credit in their high card and so they cannot reply but if I call them they will answer immediately because they still have minutes left right so again I mean this is just a small example to say that very often um, when we are encountering people from a different background uh, we might have like the wrong impression or we might jump to a certain conclusion but I think the way uh, a healthy way of growing as a society is to allow that space for compassion. I wanted to touch about that whole idea of noticing people that are outside of like your regular like points of views because I think all the books that we've kind of been talking about is all like how does this relate to me? You know like what are my takeaways from this book? But like I think this book really forces you to kind of like look at people outside of like what you're normal normally used to like instead of like how is it relatable to me? You think about people that you don't usually think about, right? Yeah, I think yeah. It's a very unnatural kind of process for us, especially in the day and age because of like main characters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, no, but I, I really do think that the value of reading is in broadening our perspective, right? It shouldn't drive us to like further self-indulgence or navel-gazing mm -hmm. where we're like, we're the main character, we're the main character, right? I think any experience of reading, even outside of this book, should direct us to think of the world from a broader perspective and to think of ourselves as citizens of a society and of the world as well. So we'll never have perfect information, mm -hmm. but we can strive to have more information. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good enough. Mm -hmm. That was really nice. <laughs> Last question before we round up the podcast for today. I think I'm interested to know, I think like for people tuning in, right, or in general, how do we go about like having a discussion or like a more informed conversation about the books that we read? Because I think a lot of us are like, oh yeah, I know I want to read this book for fun. It's like trendy now to read like Sally Rooney. I know I've seen her name like millions of times, but yeah, how do we, I think when you first pick up a book, right? How do you identify portions that you're like, okay, maybe these are like aspects that I need to think about a little harder and like then sit back and then reflect on it and then like think about how that appeals to you or like appeals to the others around you, right? Well, I think like, all growth, this is best done in a community setting, mm. meaning with your friends, right? Because mm. as I said, we're not the main character, right? So I think what has been really useful for me is to chat about books with my friends. And I do have a book club and it's a feminist book club. We read books of authors of different genders, but we always ask ourselves the question, is this book feminist? Mm. And we may have different landings on the answer. Um, and I also like that uh, my friends in this book club suggest titles. So it's not just me reading what I want to read all the time, because then you might end up creating your own little echo chamber, yeah, right? Yeah. So like, 
let's break out of this algorithm, right? <laughs> um, and let's ask our friends to recommend books to us. Let's read blogs. Um, let's be open to something different. And sometimes I do read books where I know consciously that the author has a very different idea from me, right? Yeah. Because reading a book doesn't mean you endorse its perspective. It just means that you're interested in finding out more. And I think that that is the power of reading. Let's get more information. Let's get more room for, for dialogue and compassion. And let's just fill our brains with good ideas. And there are just so many like unexpected kind of learning and surprises that you can even and realizations about yourself even i feel like a lot of people have always thought that reading is kind of like a chore and so my kind of i guess like two cents is to not pressurize yourself right like don't think that you need to come out reading this book like feeling like super illuminated or like that you must have like learned something from it or that it must have been like the most educational book i think as long as you kind of enjoy the process you really enjoy the process as long as long as you kind of like read something i feel like that's really enough to get yeah, you started yeah. on the journey. Yeah. yeah, and I think that actually reading books of essays are is probably a very good starting point. It's true, it's very accessible. Yeah, so there's just many different ways to get started on it and it doesn't have to be intimidating. And I think... Yeah, it definitely enables you to have very rich conversations. I mean, we did have a very rich conversation. Yeah. I have to tell thank you, Nicole. No, I, mean, I learned a lot. <laughs> I feel like I took away a lot from this conversation. Yeah, and that's thank because so we much. read the books. Except maybe for the bell hooks one, which you read halfway only. But never mind. Yeah, 30 pages. But I will, I will go back. I will go back and buy the physical copy and I'll see how I go. But thank you so much for joining me today. Thank um, you for having me. Thank you.